theyeshiva.net. Some stories in the Gemara are uniquely perplexing. And today we're going to learn one of those stories, which at first glance, and even at second glance, and I think even at third glance, seems completely inexplicable and literally incomprehensible. How do you explain such a story? Let's learn it inside. It's your first source. It's in the Gemara that's dedicated to the festival of Purim, which is, of course, Masechta Megillah, Dav Zayin Amid Beis, page 7b. Says the Gemara, Amar Rava. Rava said, A person is obligated to drink. To become, the psalm is not only to drink, Rashi says, to become inebriated, to become intoxicated through wine, add to the point, he does not know the difference between cursed as Haman and blessed as Mardachai. That's the extent to which Rav says the obligation of intoxication on Purim is. That's the end of Rav's statement. Now the Gemara tells a story. Two of the great sages, the Babylonian sages, Rabbe and Rebzeira, made a festival, a feast of Purim together. Ifsum. Ifsum means during the feast, Nishtakru. They both became intoxicated. Come Rabbe Shachtel Rebzeira. Rabbi stood up and he slaughtered, he killed Rebzeir. Lamachar the next day, Boy Rachemi He asked Rachmanis, he prayed and begged Hashem, and he brought Rebzeir back to life. Lashana the next year, Omale, Rabbi tells Rebzeir, 
Nesimar Vinavid Sudas Purim Bahadiyadi. Let the master come and again we'll do the Sudha of Purim together. Omalay Rabzaira told him Loi Bakol Shaita Vishaita Misrachishnis. Miracles don't happen whenever you want them to happen. And therefore, as we say in English, thank you, but no, thank you, I'll pass this time. I'll just do the Sudha with my wife and my children without your participation. That's the end of the story. The Gemara goes on to another subject in the halachas of the Su'uda of Purim. The wonder of this story is quite obvious. It needs no elaboration. Any Jew, any human being, sitting at a meal, drinking, even to a point of inebriation, is it really possible that Rabbi stood up and killed, he slaughtered, he shechted Reb because he was drunk on Purim? Shviches Domim, murder, is considered one of the most cardinal, greatest, grave criminal sins in Judaism and really in every functional civilization, and here a man who had a little too much to drink murdered another person, another Jew, his own colleague. This question would be on any person and this question would certainly be on any leader and any great mind and any great scholar. But it becomes even more perplexing considering Rabbah. The Gemara says about Rabbah in Mesech the Brachas, that Rabbah, they were talking about a Benini. Right? So Rabbah said, no Benini. I'm a Benini. I'm a Abaya, Abaya, who was a student and his nephew, says, You're not letting anybody else live, because if you're a Benini, if you're only a Benini, if you're only an intermediary man, that means we're all wicked. We certainly can't compare to you. You're not letting anybody live. This is the esteem that Rabbah was held in. The Gemara says in Baba Metziah that Rabbah never stopped learning for a moment to the point that the angel of death had to devise a whole strategy how to take his soul. And when, they took, when he took his soul, they asked Rabbah then a question. There was a debate, the Gemara says, between Hashem and the heavenly yeshiva about a certain form of leprosy, if it's pure or impure. If it's Suffolk, if Baharis, Kaidemis, Lasea, Lovinus, Say, Lovin, Kaidemis, Labaris, a whole discussion there about a certain form, a doubt if the person is pure or impure. Hashem is arguing with the heavenly academy, and the Gemara says they decided who are we going to ask? Rabbi is the man to ask, because he said, Ani Yachid bin I'm the man to ask. And as his soul left, he says, Tahir. He says, Tahir. So, You're talking here about a person who is literally considered one of the G'dayli Hadar, the greatest of his generation. You're going to tell me that on Purim, in the middle of the Sudha, he got inebriated and he murdered, he shechted, he slaughtered this colleague of Zayr. Why? From what? From drinking. Besides this major question, there's a few other questions, no less perplexing. The Gemara says, L'machar even the most drunk person, you just slaughtered somebody. Wake up. Sober up. Lamachar, no. Still a long night. Tomorrow, 
Rabbi decides, you know what? We have to do something. He brings him back to life. He went to sleep. <laughs> he went to relax. He took a break. He went to Davin Vasikin in the morning. It's so strange, this Lamacha. Of course, perhaps the most perplexing question is, Lashana Haba. The next year he invites him for another Sudas Purim. I would expect the Gemara to say, a whole year he was asking Mechila. Every day he went to plead forgiveness, to repent for this terrible, terrible mistake. No, there's not a mention of asking forgiveness. There's not a mention of remorse. There's no mention of tshuva, of repentance. There's no mention of sake, v'tanisa. Man no issue. Not, not, not an ounce of regret. What, yeah? The next year, he comes to me and says, we had such a great time last year, didn't we? <laughs> he invites him. How do you even have the gods to come to him and invite him for another Sudas Purim? You know what you did last year. It was as though it was the most pleasant, tranquil experience we've been doing Purim so many years. We had such a great ambiance in our home. Why don't you come back? We'll celebrate again. Perhaps even more perplexing is Reb Zayda's response. Reb Zayda t'mgedaft uncooking with tapara again. Reb Zayda should have given him says Rabba. It's a joke. Reb Zayda doesn't say that. Reb Zayda, you know, Rabba in principle, not a problem. I would be love. I would love to come to your house for Sudas Purim. I have just one technical problem. Miracles don't happen every day. What should I tell you? If I knew miracles happen every day, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's do it all over again. This is a response? First of all, what do you need the whole problem for even if miracles happen every day? This is what you need to be slaughtered. Number two, how could you put somebody else in a, put somebody else in a situation of doing a sin, any sin, never mind shvichis dam and murder? And equally perplexing is the way the Gemara tells the story. As they say in Hebrew, straightforward, simple, no issues. It happened almost like matter of fact, two lines next. This rabbi, who we learn about constantly in Gemara, one of the greatest sages, and one of the greatest masters of Torah Shabbat and his generation, and forever, for all of Jewish generations, we're learning about Purim. You should just know, by the way, this rabbi happened to murder who, Reb Zayda? So, over the generations, many of the Mepharsha, many of the commentators have naturally addressed this story in Masech the Megillah. There are various answers or attempts on answers that have been given. Huh? Okay. One is... One is that it doesn't mean he slaughtered him. You could have guessed that. It doesn't mean he slaughtered him. The Gemara is using dramatic language to describe the fact that Rabbi gave him too much to drink. <laughs> this happens still today. You're sitting with somebody, nachatronk, nachatronk, nachatronk. You know how to drink. Your fellow, uh, your fellow, your colleague doesn't know how to drink, and Abzeda becomes terribly sick terribly ill, they think he's going to die. This is the view of none other than the Maharsha. The Maharsha in his Chidusha Agadis on Megillah, this is what he says. 
And the truth is, we already have it in the Rishonim. The Me'iri, Rabbeinu Menachem HaMe'iri, in his commentary in Beis Abchira, Masech Megillah, already says this. You'll take a look at the Me'iri. Shachate Miloshin Schita. Sochate. He squeezed him. He squeezed him. Ritzayni Loimar Sheyimachai. Me'icha. He squeezed him. Schita. That's how you have to read it. Not Shachate, but Sochate. In Tanakh we have, bring me back to health. Bring me recovery. He asked Rachmanes that he should recover because in the process he was perhaps wild, he squeezed him, there was a form of violence, but it was not an issue of death. The Marsha goes in the same line, although a little bit differently. It was like he slaughtered him, meaning... The Agbere Chamra, he gave him lots and lots of wine, abundance of wine. He compelled him to drink too much. You know, another Lechayim, another Lechayim. Come on. Nacha Lechayim. At Shechola, he fell ill. Venotalamos. He was in danger of death. So the next morning, Rabbi sees what he did. And he's like, Oy Gewald, Rebbeinu Shaloylam, help this man. And Rabbi Zayda recovers. That's one, what, what, one mahalach, one perspective. Of course, this solves a lot of the problems. It wasn't murder, it wasn't shvichas damim. It may have been a mistake, it was a bad situation, it wasn't good. But of course, it leaves us with the question, so why are you coming back next year? We had such a great time, I almost caused you to die. He's coming back next year. Even this is a pure prohibition of known as chayvul b'chaveirei, harming another person in any way, including through giving them to drink in a way that's not suitable. Even if it's a mistake, you come back next year. But this certainly is one perspective. The biggest problem with this perspective is the Gemara certainly doesn't give off this impression. Shachte, shachte. It looked like he almost shechted him. He got sick. The Gemara says he stood up and he slaughtered the Bzeir and the next day, Achyeh, he brought him to life. There's another interpretation. The other interpretation comes from the Malbim. The Malbim, in a similar fashion, is Medayik something interesting. He says, the Gemara should have said, Come Rabbi, Vishachtel Rebzeirah. Rabbi stood up and slaughtered Rebzeirah. It says, Rabbi stood up, slaughtered Rebzeda. There's a vav missing. There's an and missing over there. Come Rabbi, Rabbi stood up, he slaughtered Rebzeda. Should have been, come Rabbi Vishachte. He stood up and he slaughtered him. So the Malbim says, they were drinking a lot. Ipsum, they both became intoxicated. Come Rabbi. Rabbi stood up to go to retire. Shachte Rebzeda. The wine killed Reb or almost killed Reb Come Rabbi. If it would have meant Rabbi stood up and slaughtered Reb in other words, he stood up to kill him, should have said, come Rabbi, v'shachtel Reb So he says, divide the story. Come Rabbi. Rabbi stood up and he had the physical prowess, the physical ability to hold, to hold the vodka, to hold the wine. So therefore, he could go retire. But Shachte, this event, the event, the drinking, the experience, slaughtered the Bzeir. Which again, is the Malbum's interpretation, similar to the Marsha, similar to the Meiri, although it would be difficult somewhat to understand why the Gemara 
writes it in such a uh, objectionable and strange fashion when it completely doesn't mean literally. The unique, shocking interpretation comes from the Chassam Seifer. The Chassam Seifer, Rabbeinu Moshe Seifer, in his, not in his commentary on Gemara, but in Shailus Shuvah's Chassam Seifer in Erechayim, in two places, in two places in Shailus Shuvah's Chassam Seifer Erechayim, he, interestingly, brings another Gemara to explain this Gemara. Says the Chassam Seifer, look in Gemara Shabbos Kufnun Vav Amid Aleph. The Gemara speaks there about people born on different days. If you're born on Sunday, you're going to be an eccentric. If you have any Sundays here, you don't have to raise your hand. You'll go either to one extreme or another extreme, light or dark. It's very hard for you to uh, live in mitigation. If, you live on, if, you, if you're on Monday, bad temperament. You get angry, you have a short fuse. Any mo- you don't have to all raise your hand uh, at the same time. The Gemara goes through a whole... A whole list. I was born on Sunday. <laughs> but this is, not a, this is not a therapy session at the moment yet. Then the Gemara discusses not the day, but the hour you were born. Every hour has, is under the influence of a particular mazel. And the Gemara then discusses somebody who was born in the Shah in the hour when Madim. Uh, Madim is, uh, which one is Madim, you know? Huh? Mars, right? Somebody born under the influence of Mazel Madim, which means red, Madim from the word Adam. So the Gemara says, Shabbos Kufnudov, Hai Mandebe Madim, a person born in that hour, it's basically a change of seven hours. The Shiva Koichveleches, the seven planets as they understood them, have an influence every hour over seven hours. Somebody who was born in the hour under Mazel Maidim, Yehi Gever Ashidoma. He will be a man who spills blood. Amar Rabashi. Rabashi said, I Umna. He may be a doctor who takes out blood from people. I Ganva. He may be a thief, a killer. I Tabacha. He may be a Shaykhit. I Mayhola. He may be a Mayal, but he's going to spill blood. Omar Rabbe. Rabbe said, Anabe Madim Havoyi. I was born in Madim, and I never spilled blood. Rabashi, well, Rabbi didn't, Rabbi didn't say this to Rabashi, Rabashi lived later. But Rabbi said, I was born in Madim. The, the, no, before Rabashi, the Gemara says, if you're born in Madim, you're going to spill blood. Rabbi says, I was born in Madim, I never spilled blood. Amir Abayi said, excuse moi, mar nami onish vekatl. The master too punishes people. Rashi says, people who don't listen to you, you also punish them, you also penalize them. So you're not so detached from this. This is a Gemara that is extremely fascinating. But of course, it begs the question. Rabbi says, I was born in Madam and I never spilled blood. Really, Rabbi? It's so bad. You forgot what you did on Purim. You yourself had to bring him back to life. What is this? They say denial is not only a river in Egypt, right? It's part of people's lives. How could Rabbi speak like this? And then Abaya says, Mar nami onish You also punish people. Abaya could have said something far more uh, poignant and to the point and accurate, and that is, Rabbi, it's not just you punish people. You spilled Abzeda's blood. So you might say, as the Chassam Seifer suggests, that this happened afterwards. Rabbi said this before it happened. Okay. 
But the Chassam Soifa says, now you could understand the Gemara, because Rabbi had this issue. He was born in Mazel Maidim. That's what the Chassam Soifa says. And yet, despite everybody knows the greatness of the Chassam Soifa, I think, at least for our minds, it seems incomprehensible. You were born in Mazel Maidim, and therefore you murder somebody. Because you're not a mer, because you're not a sheikh, therefore you end up murdering somebody. Some cipher learns the story literally. Because he was born in Mazel Maidim. The Rambam famously discusses in Hilchas Deus in Mishnah Torah that different people are born with different dispositions. We know there is nature besides nurture. There is the impact of nurture, there is the impact of nature. And nature includes many things. Nature, of course, includes genetics. Nature also could include the time a person is born, the space a person is born, the circumstances in which a person is born. Besides their education and nurture and parental influence and communal influence and so forth, people are born with certain very, very powerful dispositions. But as the Rambam puts it, one of the fundamentals of Yiddishkeit is that they're not ever completely forced to behave in a particular immoral way. They ultimately have choices, even if for some the struggle may be far greater than for others. And that's why judgmentalism is really out of place. Because, as the Mishnah says, Don't judge people if you did not reach their space. The famous expression of the Svasemes, And you're never going to reach somebody else's space. I'm never going to be wearing your shoes. I'm never going to be wearing your uh, prescription of glasses. I have my way of seeing the world. You have yours. And therefore, judgmentalism should usually be suspended, even if the person is doing something wrong, but there's no, there's no point in judgmentalism, it comes from ignorance, from primitive, certain sense of immaturity. This doesn't mean the person is right. But the p- bottom line is, even if he was born in Mazel Maidim, this explains the Gemara, Shachtel Rebzeira. In fact, the Chsam Seifu was not the first one to associate the two Gemaras, it was done a generation earlier, two generations earlier, by the Yaivitz, Rabbeinu Yaakov Emden, known as the Yaivitz Yaakov ben Svi, the son of the Chacham Tzvi. Rabbi Yaakov Emden, in his Hagos Yaivitz, in his commentary on Gemara, known as Hagos Yaivitz, says, He didn't slaughter him. It seemed that way. It seemed that way. People perceived it that way. The situation was that Rabbi Zayda was in a situation that looked like he was gone. And Abzeda himself was affected by the impression it made. He started to tremble. And he fainted from stress and anxiety. And it looked like he was dead. Even if he was in Madam, I am certain that Rabbi did not, did not spill blood. So we have this perspective that it means he almost killed him, he gave him too much to drink, he squeezed him, he hurt him, he made him too drunk, he fell ill, or the Chsam Seifer who says it was a literal catastrophe, a literal tragedy because of Mazel Mad. There's another perspective in Sifrei HaKabola, and that is, it's a metaphor. <laughs> like you said, it's a parable. In fact, there's a whole sugim Baba Basrid of Ayin Gimel, known as Avayas de Rabbah Bar Barchona. Rabbah, the son of Barchona, has there many, many experiences that are completely supernatural and extremely strange, right? He's going on a ship, and they decide to rest, 
and they go off on an island, and they make a barbecue, and suddenly the island turns over. What seemed like an island was really a whale, and if not for the ship, they would have all drowned. Many stories like this. Interesting creatures he meets, different types of people, including stories of intoxication. He finds the place where heaven and earth kiss. It's a whole, it's a huge sugi in Gemara. So the Marsha, already in Zohar, many Mepharshim say, it's a metaphor. It's a parable. Rabbi Barachana is telling stories in order to convey ideas, convey messages. We know in Torah there's two sections. In Gemara itself, Halacha and Agada. Halacha is law. A law. Halacha is a mikriyot What it says is what it means. Agada is the homiletical ideas, not halachic ideas, homiletical ideas. There, sometimes stories are told as parables, as metaphors, as illustrations, to convey ideas through stories, even though the stories themselves physically are fictional. So some want to say, if you look in Sifri Kabbalah, the Gemara is telling a metaphor. Rabbi represents something. There's a Sefer Meir, Eine Chachamim, by Rabbi Chiel uh, Meir of Ostrovtsa famous Rebbe of Ostrovce. He passed away in the 1920s. Rebbe in Poland, Ostrovce Rebbe. I saw Madura Tinyana Brachis. I saw he explains this story metaphorically. Rabbe represents something. Rebbe Zeta represents something. There's a Sefer Lekuti Levi Yitzchak on Kabbalah. Explains it metaphorically. Interesting. Not Kabbalistically. Explains it also metaphorically. The Gemara says that Rabbe was a... Uh, was a uh, was a was a oikir harim. The Gemara says at the end of Hurius, Rabbi was an oikir harim. He uprooted mountains. Reb Zayda was a makshavicharif. He was very sharp, and that's the meaning of the story. So this is a whole different perspective. If so, we don't have an issue. No, not murder, and not spilling blood, and not violent, and not he came back the next year. It's all anyway a metaphor. But. Of course, their explanations are true on a spiritual level, but we have a major problem here. Problem here is, what do they say in real estate? Location, location, location. This Gemara is placed smack in the middle of an entire halachic discussion about how the meal of Purim has to take place, when it has to take place, how it has to take place, Right before, Rav said a halacha, Chayiv inish lepsume bepurya adalo yada ben arhamal abarach mardecha. And this is not a halacha in Kabbalah, in spirituality. It's brought in Tur, it's brought in Shulchan Aruch, in Hilchis Pur, in Hilchis halachas of Purim, Simon Tafresh Tzadik Hey. The halacha that a true is obligated lehistake bepurim adalo yada. Right after that, the Gemara tells the story. So, to t- and then after that, there's more halachas, all laws, not. Not metaphors about Purim. It's not like Rabbi Rabbi Khan's stories are in a section that's completely dealing not with halachic issues. Here, smack in the middle of laws before and laws after comes a story. And suddenly you have to understand, till now we were speaking about literal meals. And now we're not talking about a literal meal. We're not talking about literal people. We're not talking about literal wine. We're not talking about literal slaughtering. It would be very, very difficult to impose this interpretation in the Gemara and say this is the only interpretation. Even though certainly the physical story Shivim ponim l'tayra. Every story in Torah can be understood on a level of pshat, on a level of remez, on a level of drush, on a level of sot. In fact, there's clear proof that it cannot mean only allegor- an allegory or metaphor. And that is, take a look, the Ran and the Baal HaMoyer, Rabbeinu Nisim, and the Baal HaMoyer, Mesech Megillah, say something very, very interesting. 
and this is quoted in the Beis Yosef, in Tur Eurachayim, Simon Tofrich Tzadikeh, it's quoted in the Bach, it's quoted in many of the commentators of Tur and Shulchan Aruch, all from Rabbeinu Nisim and Baal HaMoyah the Rishonim. And this is what they say, Ha the Kosov Ephraim Zal. Rabbeinu Ephraim, who was a student of the Rif, Reb Yitzchak of Fez, Reb Yitzchak Al-Fasi, writes, Me'ahu uvde de kom rabbe v'shachtel rabzeide, itchilei meimre de rabbe. The Gemara tells the story in this sequence to tell you that Rava's law was rejected by the sages. This is Rava's personal opinion that Allah does not follow like Rava. It's not a good idea to do what Rava said. That's exactly how to understand the Gemara. First the Gemara quotes Rava and says, a person is obligated to become inebriated on Purim until you don't know between Kirstus Haman and Baruch Mordechai. And then the Gemara says, before you start doing this, let me tell you a story. And Rabbeinu Ephraim says, you know why this story comes in right here? To tell you that, of course, Rav's opinion should not be acted upon. It's his opinion. It's not the halacha. The majority disagreed with it. Why? Because they saw what happened with Rabbi and Abzeda. Obviously, if... This story happened on a metaphorical spiritual level. Rabbeinu Ephraim wouldn't be so disturbed by the story to say that the whole reason it was brought here is only to reject Rava. It's quite literal and the halacha is quite, is quite rejected. Which of course brings us to the final question we want to address is, Rabbeinu Ephraim holds the halacha is not like Rava. But the halacha is like Rava. In other words, according to Rabbeinu Ephraim, the halacha is not like Rava. But according to most other halachic authorities, the halacha is like Rava. And that's why if you open up a Torah or Shulchan Aruch, the basic code of law and the laws of Megillah, the beginning of Tafrit Sadakeh, tells you exactly what Rava says. In fact, it's almost a verbatim. Quote, you have it in Torah, you have it in Shulchan Aruch, you can take a look in Shulchan Aruch. Oyrechayim Simen Tafrit Sadakeh. The Mechaber, the author, the Beis Yosef writes, Chayev inish lebesume bepurya adel layoda benor hamal baruch mardechai. Person is obligated to become inebriated once a year on Purim, not before Purim, not after Purim, but just on Purim. This is not about a kiddush club. This is about Purim until you don't know between Aron Haman and Baruch Mordechai. Comes the Ramah in his Agon, his footnote, and he says, "V'yesha imrim." Some say the ain't sorich liyshtaker kol kach. You know what? There's no need for this. You should drink more than what you're accustomed to. And then hopefully you'll fall asleep. I added the word hopefully. And you'll sleep. And when you're sleeping, automatically you don't know the difference if Haman is cursed, if Mordechai is blessed. You're dreaming about something else. Whether you do it more, you do it less. The main thing is that your mindfulness should be directed towards heaven and not towards the alcohol. These are the words of the Ramah. Some commentators say that the Ramah is qualifying the words of the Shulchan Aruch based on Rabbeinu Ephraim, even though he doesn't say it clearly. Since Rabbeinu Ephraim held that Rav's law was rejected, so therefore the Ramah says, I know that the author of Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo, said to do what Rav said, but some people say... No need for that. You could drink a little more and sleep. Even though the Ramah does say clearly, by sleeping you won't know the difference. In other words, he is still including the view of Rava. But the truth is that this view of the Ramah is already brought in the Rambam. The Rambam and Hilchis Megillah 
which we're going to quote a little later, says the same thing that the mitzvah is. He says it much stronger than the Ramah. He says the mitzvah is to drink until you're drunk and you fall asleep in your drunkenness. That's how the Rambam defines the mitzvah. We'll soon see, we'll soon, we'll soon learn the Rambam because there is a uh, profound message in the Rambam. So, it's fascinating. They learned that the story happened literally. Rabbi slaughtered the Bzeira, and yet, and that's why Rabbeinu Ephraim is alarmed, and he feels the halacha was rejected, and yet, most halachic authorities, mainstream normative halachic authorities, Tur and Shulchan Aruch, the most central authorities, just quote the words of Rava, even though the Ramah makes a qualification, but in this case, even the Ashkenazim, some of them follow, uh, follow the Mechabah the Svardi. The Oruch HaShulchan, the Oruch HaShulchan, in his commentary, in his Shulchan Aruch, in his in his uh, in his Hilchas Bilat Avrit says this, and he says Vuhu Tamua. He cannot understand how they all ignored Rabbeinu Ephraim and just said that you should drink Adla Yada Ben Arhamul Barach Mardechai. Seeing seeing uh, the Michshel, the obstacle of this story, which the Beis Yosef himself, who is the author of Shulchan Aruch, brings. And warns against drinking excessively on Purim. Beis Yosef said it brings to adultery, it brings to murder, it brings to uh, to avoid zara, it brings to to terrible negative things. Alcoholism is quite is quite a serious problem. That's a person who drinks regularly. But the Beis Yosef says, even though you're only we're talking about the person who only drinks on Purim, we're not talking here about an alcoholic. I probably don't have to mention this, who's not allowed to drink on Purim. That would be an Isser Gomer, a complete prohibition to somebody who has a real alcoholic problem to drink on Purim. With Rabbeinu Ephraim, without Rabbeinu Ephraim, with the Shechon Aruch and other Shechon, they even drink uh, Kiddush, four cups of wine. I mean, a lot of Paschim. Okay, it's not for now, but the point is, we're not talking about uh, an alcoholic, even though it's an important topic. So the concept here is that despite this, the Beis Yosef brings the caution, and yet in Shechon Aruch, I'm not going to say he forgets, the Beis Yosef didn't forget, but he just says the Psagdin straightforward. There's one very interesting diuk in the Gemara. In Gemara, the words are very meticulous. I ask you, it says, they got drunk, ifsum, they both got drunk. Come, Rabbi, shachtel Rabbi stood up and slaughtered Abzeira. Why is the word come necessary? And what if he did it sitting? And what if he did it leaning? Come, Rab, he stood up. Why is that part of the story? You might say that's what happened. He stood up with a knife and shachtel it abzeda. Why is that, however, integral to the story? If he was standing, if he was sitting, if he was laying, if they were both on the ground, the fact that Gemara makes mention of it, even though the Gemara doesn't say every single detail. How did he slaughter him? When did he slaughter him? Did he say anything before? The word come means there is significance here. In fact, we learned before what the Malbim says. That come is integral to understand the story. Come Rabbi, Rabbi stood up and went away. <laughs> That's what the Malbim says. He went away. Come Rabbi, he went away. Shachta l'rabzeira, the wine slaughtered l'rabzeira. Huh? Yeah, but the Gemara does say if sum, which is plural. If so means they both were inebriated, which is also interesting. What's relevant to the story really is that Rabbah was inebriated. I assume if Reb Zayda was sober, he would have ran away, right? I mean, that's what I would have done. But, uh, but the Gemara does say, if sum, which is plural, Ashen Rabbim. If sum in, in Aramaic means they both became intoxicated.
I want to share with you today, Be'ezir Hashem, a new explanation of the Gemara. An explanation that combines two opposite extremes. On one hand, it's apparent from the Gemara that it was a literal story. Rabbi caused Reb to die. Shachtel Reb On the other hand, it was not a story of Shvichis Domim, of what we would call spilling the blood, murdering Reb which would be beyond absurd, beyond unbelievable for any Jew, for any great man, certainly for Rabbi. This explanation that I'm going to share with you, I heard myself from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Shabbos after Purim, Tovshin Mem Dalad, 1984. It was a Shabbos Fabrengen. I was a boy at the time. It was a Shabbos Fabrengen after Purim. It was Gans Lebedik. And the Rebbe then gave a talk explaining this Gemara. I have to tell you, the suspense in the room... When the Rebbe gave this talk, the sense of awe and mystery and sense of suspenseless people were glued to their seats with mouths open, mesmerized. As the Rebbe expounded in a very creative and original way, the pshat, the meaning of this Gemara. And unlikely of him, he shared three stories. I guess it was more of a Purim uh, ambiance. He wouldn't tell that many stories generally. But he shared three amazing stories to try to illustrate the explanation that he wanted to give in the Gemara, and uh, I still, I could still see it and hear it. That's what an impact it left on me. And I want to share with you a few nuggets of what I heard then from the Rebbe to explain this Gemara, and I'll try to elaborate on a few items the way I understood it, the way I comprehended it. It starts off with another story that goes back far earlier, and everybody knows the story, and it's usually the Parshish around the time of Purim, Parshish Shmini, the story of Nadav and Avil. The Torah says, the day that the Mishkan is erected, Rosh Chodesh Nisan, Klal Yisrael is on a high, ecstasy. The Shechina comes down to dwell among them. The fire comes out and burns all the offerings. And then what happens? Tragedy strikes. The two sons of Aaron, Nadav and Avil, offer a strange fire in front of God. Vatetze Eish, a fire comes out and consumes them. And Aaron's two sons die on the very same day that the Mishkan was inaugurated. We can understand or not understand the depth of the tragedy to the point that Aaron is just silent. And Moshe says, Now I understand what Hashem told me. I'm going to become sanctified through my closest people. Moshe tells Aaron, I thought it would be you or me. And now I see, Your two boys were greater than you and me. They were the ones who sanctified the Mishkan. This Rashi brings in Parshish Shmini from the Medrash from Chazal. Okay. What happens right after? Hashem tells Aaron, Yayin v'sheicher al tesht. There's no drinking wine when you enter into the sanctuary to do the Avoidah. In fact, it can cause a death penalty. So Rashi tells us right there on the story, and he gets it from Medrash, Rabbi Parshish Shmini, Suye yayin nichnesu lemiktash. Nadav and Aviyu died, Rashi says. Why? Because they went into the Beis HaMikdash, which in English literally means ungetrunken, I said in English, in Yiddish, ungetrunken medvain, when it's Adela Yada, so Yiddish and English are, uh, are uh, I guess, also the same. They go in drunk, and therefore they pass away. I ask you a question. 
Nadav and Aviyu are greater than Moshe and Aaron. You go into the Mishkan, drunk, surpassed, even not for another Vanaviyu, even not for a Moshe and Aaron. A regular Jew, people drink, we know that. Unfortunately, sometimes more than necessary, and sometimes more often than necessary, and not only once a year on Purim, we know that. But even a person who's drunk, you go into the new Mishkan, on the day it was inaugurated, to the place of the Shechina, drunk, Suya Yayin, this seems like, very brute and barbaric behavior. And Moshe says, now I know they're greater than you and I. Really, Moshe and Aaron would have also done this, and they're greater than Moshe and Aaron. What's the meaning of this? There's an Eurachayim. Eurachayim, Parshas Achere Mois, Rabbi Nechayim ben Otter. It's one of those Eurachayims that is, as the Rebbe expressed himself then, Nifla Shebe Nifla. Just the words of the Eurachayim demonstrate to you what certain, how certain people operate in the beginning of Achirei Mois discusses the opening pasuk by Yidaber Hashem al Moshe Leimer. Achirei Mois Shnei Bnei Aaron bekarvosim lufnei Hashem vayamusu vayamusu. Hashem speaks to Moshe after the death of the two children of Aaron when they came close to Hashem and they died, and he tells Aaron, "Don't come always to the Holy of Holies, only with certain offerings on Yom Kippur." Parshas Achirei Mois says Da'irachayim. What's the sequence here? He speaks to him after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they came close to God and they died. The story was already in Parshish Shmini. What's the point of repeating it here and adding new details? Says Here, finally, Hashem tells Moshe how they died. You want to know how they died? They came close to Hashem. They came close before the supernal light in the love of holiness, and that's how they passed away. The Torah here is intimating the wonder of the love of tzaddikim. Even though they felt that they're going to die, listen to his words. And you could see the Arachayim was experiencing what he wrote. They did not prevent themselves from coming close. How am I supposed to translate all these words? With dveikus, with intimacy, with sweetness, with pleasantness, with friendship, with affection, with craving, with sweetness to the point that their souls expired from them. Vahavin, understand this. This experience... A regular person doesn't understand this quality. This is out of most people's consciousness, not in their mouth and not in their writing. They don't talk about it, nor can they write about it. It's very hard to be comprehended by the mind of a mortal physical human being to even understand what they went through. When a person really experiences what they experienced, such intimacy with the Rebbeinu Shalom, such closeness, the soul cannot deal with the confinement of the flesh. It just wants to soar back to the bosom of its father. This is the experience known in Chazal and in many Sfarim as Klois Hanefesh. Klois Hanefesh means the soul so to speak, expires, it leaves the body. Why does it leave the body? It would be like the electricity voltage 
the electricity power is too powerful and the wires are not kalim, the wires can't be uh, receptacles for it, and therefore they just, they just burn up. We know even in our, own, in our own life, sometimes you hear something overwhelmingly joyous or, or fantastic or extraordinary, and it's almost like you can't catch yourself, you're, you're overwhelmed. Now what if that is sustained? What if that continues for hours and then for days? So they came so close and they knew that it's dangerous. Why did they know it's dangerous? Because they knew that this world is based on concealment. The body is based on concealment. And to really experience the true light of God's presence, which many of us don't even know what that even begins to mean. We live because there's such concealment. So we could feel comfortable. We feel comfortable in our skin. Why? Because the presence of truth, the presence of Hashem, Einoid Malvada, is completely eclipsed even if we talk about it, and we can intellectually philosophize about it, but the Rechaim is talking here about experience, not cerebral, cerebral uh, logical explanations. So Hashem says, Hashem. Now I ask you a question. did not learn Rashi? They had a drinking party. They got drunk. It was Rishchidosh That's how people learn. It was Rishchidosh Nissen. Everybody was in a good mood. They worked hard for this Mishkan. Yeah, the Hevra brought out the Mashka. And not the of you had too much to drink and they went into the base. Some Mikdash drunk. The Rachaim, suddenly we have a whole different experience, a whole different story. So the Shalah, Rabbeinu Yeshaya Horowitz, the famous Shalah, the Shalah HaKadosh, lived in the 16th century in Prague, in Frankfurt, and then in Yerushalayim, buried in Tveria. The Halakha Shalor Rabbeinu Yeshaya Horowitz has a Sefer Shnei Luchas Abris, with a lot of different sections. A section called Shara Isis Kuf. He speaks about Kedusha Sahila, about eating and drinking. And he has there a whole section about the concept of drinking. And of course, he opposes it. <laughs> he opposes it. But then, he brings a very interesting Gemara. And I have here the Gemara. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Lamed Chesam et Aleph. Yehuda, it has to be a Yud. Yehuda v'chizkiya b'nei Rebchiyah have. Yehuda and Chizkiya were the sons of Rebchiyah. Yasvi b'sudasa kamei Rebbe. They were sitting at a meal in front of Rebbe, Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi. V'loi have ka'amri v'loi midi. They were not saying anything. They were relatives of, of, of Rebbe. I mean of Rebchiyah. I'm sorry, they were relatives of Rebbe. Rebbe was a relative of Rebchia, nephew of Rebchia. And uh, they're sitting at a meal in front of Rebbe Yudah and they're not saying anything. So what do you do? Omalahu, Rebbe tells these two boys, Yudah and Chizkia, Agbiru chamre adardiki, ki the lame milsa. Let us give some extra wine to the children, to the youngsters, so that they should say something. In other words, literally, let's lighten them up. They're shy, they're timid, they're reserved. Let's give them to drink so they open up. Even the ifsum, they started to drink. Here again we have the word ifsum. They became tipsy. Paschu v'yamru, they started to say, Ein ben David bach, yichlu shtei bate aviz mi Yisrael, ve'eluein roish goyla shebebavl v'nasir shebert Yisrael. Mashiach will not come until two families lose their power. The Rosh Goyla, the head of the exile in Babylonia, and the Nasi, the president of the Sanhedrin in Eretz Yisrael. When these two families finally become simple Jews, Mashiach is going to come. Amalahem, Rebbe says, Bonai, 
You came here to drink and you're putting thorns in my eyes because who was the Nasi in Eretz Yisrael? It was Rebbe Yehuda Nasi. This is what you tell me? Mashiach is going to come basically when I retire? On my Lord, Rebbe says, Rebbe, Al Necha, don't be upset. Yayin nitin b'shivim oisius. V'soyt nitin b'shivim oisius. Nichnes, yayin yatsasoyt. Yayin has a numerical value of 70. Yud is 10, Yud is 10, Nun is 50, so altogether it's 70. The word soyd, samach, vav dalad, is 64 and 4, is also 70. Why? Because when wine comes in, secrets come out. You wanted them to speak. What do you want them to speak? About the weather? You gave them to drink, you wanted them to speak. They spoke about the secrets, what's going to happen, Ain ben David ba. don't get upset. They were sharing the true deeper secrets. Comes the Shalah, and he says something very fascinating. He says, this Gemara tells us, Nichnas yayin When you drink, secrets come out. We know when people drink, their guards go down, they're less closed up, they open up. The question is, what comes out? Which secrets come out? Which secrets come out? That depends what's inside your depth. The children of Rebchia, Yehuda and Chizkiah, when they spoke up as a result of the wine, Yotza Soit, deep secrets, deep, secrets, deep secrets came out about Ein ben David Ba. He brings a Gemara in Shabbos Samach Zayin. Rabbi Akiva at the wedding feast of his own son was giving wine and on every drink they were saying it should be for the life of the Rabbanon. And he explains at length this theme. That the G'doylim Oritz, there were great, great men who used to drink. Why would they drink? Not because they had an addiction to alcohol. Not because they wanted to run away from anxiety and they liked being drunk and inebriated. But at certain moments they would drink because Yatsasoid, it created a certain openness. The guards were down, the guards were relaxed, all the defenses were away, their body and their soul experienced a more heightened sense of consciousness. And what happened then? The deepest secrets began to flow. They were drinking. But what was the nature of their drinking? They weren't drinking just to party in a sense of excessive narcissistic materialism just to get drunk. says, were seeking the deepest intimacy with Hashem. The drinking was simply a tool an instrument for all of their secrets to come out. And which secrets came out? Sometimes what's lay in a person is animalistic, repressed feelings. And some people get drunk, they become violent. They, they, they speak nasty. They, they, they're vulgar. I mean, I don't have to elaborate on this. That's what's inside. Another than Aviyu drank. And what came out? What came out from them was an infinite flow of secrets of life, secrets of Torah, Soydus HaTorah, as the Shalom puts it, to the point that they experienced a closeness, a transcendental experience of oneness in the world and in them and with God that the physical bodies could not contain and could not experience. As he puts it, Ne'imus, chavivus, yedidus, neshikus, mesikus, ad klois nafshois So what happens afterwards? Hashem tells Aaron, don't drink. Why? 
because it's an Eish Zara. The objective of life is the soul should remain in the body. Loshevis Yitzara. To live in this world, not to escape this world. The famous Gemara in Chagige, Arba Nichnesul Apardis, four people go into the orchard, also an orchard, which is of course a metaphor. Rabbi Akiva, Ben Azai, Ben Zoyma, Elisha Ben Avuya. Ben Zoyma loses his mind. Ben Azai dies. Hitzitz Vameis, Chagige Dafyud Gimel. Elisha Ben Avuya loses his whole sense of morality. He becomes a heretic. He loses his faith. He sees too much. Rabbi Akiva, Nichnes B'Shalom, B'Yatze B'Shalom. He comes in in peace, and he comes out in peace. They walk into the orchard, but once you taste the orchard, reality is transformed. Another Benaviu, like Benazai, went very, very close, and they passed away. The Rechaim says, most people don't even know what I'm talking about. What kissing, what closeness. But this was the experience of Nadav and Aviyu. Imagine all the veils of existence are removed. Even with us, we know that our brain filters out most of our unconscious emotions and experiences. What do you know about yourself? You know about yourself that which your brain allows from your subconscious to flow to your consciousness, and it lets only a few trickles, some trickles to come down. What if we would be exposed to everything that's going on inside of us? What do you think you would look like? (laughs) <laughs> if you would know everything, mamish everything in yourself. Thankfully, our brain is a very good bodyguard, and it doesn't let most of our unconscious drives and motives and feelings and emotions, whether positive or negative, to actually trickle down to our conscious self. What if the veils of existence were removed? What if a person would really be able to experience the true presence of the underlying, the koyach the underlying presence of Hashem in matter and in the world and in His body and in her soul and in life. Nadav and Aviyu wanted to kiss God face to face, mouth to mouth, and the soul completely expired, which we, which we are clueless about because we are comfortable in our own skin because of our ignorance. And we have to thank God for our ignorance. Because sometimes too much knowledge and too much experience exposes you to a reality where everything, everything changes. And this awareness, Dara Chaim says, is a humbling awareness. This is what Moshe says, Hashem says, Hashem. You should understand, it may have been a sin, but there are different types of sins. I would say there are ugly sins and there are beautiful sins. Not even Aviyu committed a sin because the purpose is to be here. Not to go there. Yayim v'sheichar al But don't think it was just two peasants who wanted to get drunk, they wanted to have a party. If this is the case, come back to our story. This is the story. Rav says it's Purim. What's the chiyav on Purim? Chayavinish l'psumah b'purya adam l'yada ben aram l'baruch mardachai. And now let's learn a shtikl rambam. But first I want to address a big question. Everybody knows Purim, we celebrate the survival of the Jewish people. The Gemara says something astounding in Mesech the Shabbos, Dav Peiches. When the Jews accepted Torah, they were under a mountain. You know the Gemara. Hashem took the mountain and He put it over them like an overturned vat. A gigis. He said, if you accept Torah, good. If not, you'll be buried right here. So the Gemara says, Mikan Basically, Jews could say it was coerced. We didn't want this relationship. Omar Rava. Rava says, Hadir Kiblu The 
times of Purim, they accepted Torah again, willingly. That's why it says in the Megillah, Kimu v'kiblu ha-Yehudim, Kimu kiblu kvar. They affirmed that which they already accepted. They reaffirmed their commitment to Torah, this time not by coercion, but with full voluntary will and volition. This means that Purim was essentially a second Matan Torah and a greater Matan Torah. The Baal HaLachas G'daylis writes, Adif Purim k'yoyim shenitne by Torah. Purim is like Matan Torah. And yet, in all of the experiences of Purim, we don't have any zecher for this, any memory for this aspect, that Purim was like a second... Jews basically, collectively, recommitted themselves to the covenant of Torah, to the covenant with Hashem, with Torah and mitzvahs, willingly even deeper and greater than by Matan Torah. Or perhaps, there is a major commemoration for this on Purim. The Rebbe Tainis, that Shittas Harambam is, that Adeloyada is exactly this experience. Take a look in the words of the Rambam. Hilchis Megillah Perik Beis. Keitzad Choyva Sudazu. What's the obligation of Purim? Shayoy Chalbasa, you should eat meat, Viyasak and Sudanok, You should prepare a nice meal according to your financial capacity. No need to borrow money and make Shalach Monason. That will make Prince Charles blush. Drink wine until you get drunk. And you fall asleep in your intoxication. We all learn the words of the Rambam quite literal. Drink and drink and drink, become tired and exhausted and fall asleep. I have to say, I always wonder that this is the halacha of Purim. Drink, get tired and fall asleep. How meaningful is that? Like what's the... <laughs> What's the meaning of this? I want to sleep. I can go to sleep. I can sleep without drinking. I go to bed. I fall asleep pretty fast. Then the Ramam continues. If you have extra money, instead of buying more shalachmanis, more expensive bottles of wine, filling up the shalachmanis, not with one chocolate, one hamantash, one orange, and one piece of chicken or gefilte fish or sushi, but the shalachmanis dafka, has to have 20 courses inside of it. Every conceivable type of candy to kill every child in the family. So the Rambam says, instead of increasing the su'udah and shalachmanas, better matamas lavyoinim, gifts daka. She'ein sham simcha g'doyla There's no real great beautiful simcha only to bring joy to the heart of poor people, orphans, widows, Strangers, somebody who brings joy to the heart of these people who are in a state of agony becomes similar to the Shechina. It says about Hashem that He brings life to the humble and He brings spirit to the crushed people. It's interesting. In Rambam, He doesn't say this. That should be the place. To bring joy to a poor person, you're Daimel he doesn't say this in the laws of charity. Where does it come up suddenly? In Hilchis Megillah, in the laws of Purim. But take a look in Hilchis Yesoideh HaToyre Perik Zayin Allah Beis. The Ramam speaks about prophecy. So he says, V'kulonein royin mara hanavua elo b'chaloyim b'chezion halayla oi b'ayoyim achar shetipoil aleyen tar deima. Tar deima, the same words. Like in Hilchis Megillah, all the prophets do not experience prophecy only in a dream or by day after they experience a tardema. Tardema means, you know what tardema is? A shluff, a sleep, a snooze. 
Come back to Hilchis Megillah. He says, Yishtaker v'yirodem b'shikrusa. What happened by Matan Torah was essentially Adeloyada. The Gemara says in Shabbos, I'll call Dibur v'dibur parchanishmasan. Their soul left them. Why did their soul leave them? Why did their soul leave them? Because, again, the veils, the electricity was so powerful, the body can't contain it. They melted away in the sweetness, in the oneness of the unity of Hashem. The soul leaves the body, which is based on a physical container that eclipses infinity. Somebody once said, if all the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear as is, infinite. The problem, of course, would be that the sense of I is based on a sense of finiteness, on a sense of ego. What happens if I lose my ego? Was bleibt. My soul remains, but that sense of ego is lost, which is why death was created through the Eitz Hadas, because before the Eitz Hadas, the soul and the body were one, like the light bulb and the light. So the body didn't have to die because it was part of eternity. The Eitz Hadas created a partition between soul and body, the soul never dies. The ego dies because it never was alive. The ego dies because its life was only delusional. It never really exists separately. But the real true consciousness of a person doesn't die. So now by Matan Torah, where they are experiencing for the first time the true ultimate wisdom of Hashem, a person cannot remain in his own ego and experience infinity. What does it create? It creates bitl. Bittel HaChushim, it creates an absolute self-nullification, and that's how they absorb Torah. It's just as the Gemara says in Shabbos, Hashem brings them back to life. That's what happens by Matan Torah. On Purim, we have Shalach Manes, Matanes Lev Sudas Purim, Megillah, all to commemorate the miracle. But we have one more detail. The same Rava who said in Masech the Shabbos, that on Purim they accepted the Torah again, says, Purim, you have to do that. Another Matan Torah. What's Matan Torah? An experience of transcendence. Adeloyada. To be able to drink, to go transcend my normal sense of egotism and self-consciousness and therefore self-centeredness to the point where I transcend my other. So the Rambam says, not you fall asleep like a behemoth. The chinks, the false touch love and you start snoring at the table. It's the chayva sasuda. What's the Ramam says? You fall asleep in your shikrus, which is the description he uses in Hilchis Yisaydi Atayra as the receptacle for prophecy. That's why the Rambam says, if you have a choice between Shalachmanes, Sudas Purim, Atanas Lavyoinim, you know what you should give? Matanas Lavyoinim, you know why? Because then you'll become he says there's no joy like bringing joy to another person really most people would say the greatest joy in the world is when you're joyous yourself that's not if you're when you're when you become a reflection of the shechina so now suddenly helping another person becomes even more significant than just adding my own meal and mishloyach manas. Here in Hilchis Megillah, the Rambam says, that through matanas lavyonim, you become similar to the Shechina, which is basically the reenactment of matan Torah, where the Jew experiences intimacy and oneness with the Shechina. And therefore the Rambam says, that for a person to be able to experience the plight, the fate of another person, more than himself, this should be the greatest joy, is only 
when a person is operating on a soul level, on a divine level, on a transcendental level, when being there for you is as meaningful as being there for me because I sense our organic oneness. Rav says on Purim, comes the Gemara and tells a story. Rabbi and Rebzeire are doing a meal. If some, they become drunk. So everybody learns, they drink and drink and they become drunk. It's not just they were drinking, there was good wine, old wine, and they were drinking. The wine was flowing, but the secrets were flowing. The secrets of Torah were flowing without any limitation, beyond even a level of regular das. What happens? Come, Rabbi. Rabbi stands up. And this word, these words, come, Rabbi, are extremely significant. Even Rabbi elevates himself to a place beyond. There's Rabbi and Rebzeir. What does Rabbi mean? Rabbi, large. What does Rebzeir mean? Small. In fact, the Yerushalmi calls him Reb Ze'eira, Ze'eir, which means small. And Reb Ze'eira was small. The Gemara says about Metziah Dav Pehei, he once went into an oven, you know the story, and his thighs were, uh, were singed, were burnt. He shrunk, they called him Reb Ze'eira, small person, small. He was also morally, spiritually, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, that Reb Ze'eira would hide, so nobody should give him smicha. He didn't want to be acknowledged. He didn't want to be ordained. The Gemara says he would hide, so he shouldn't get smicha until he found out that you're forgiven your sins, and then he wanted, then he wanted to get it. But this was Zebzeira. Zebzeira means small. He was small physically, but also, in contrast to Rabbah, he felt small. He felt humble. So you have Rabbah and Zebzeira together. They're both in a state of ifsum. Not only Rabbah, also Zebzeira. It's critically important. Come Rabbah. Rabbah himself stands up physically, but more importantly, he stands up spiritually. He himself elevates himself to a place that transcends his experience. And here is the difference. Rabbah comes from the word Rav, which is greatness. Reb Zayda is Zayda, which is smallness. What happens? Shachtei Reb Zayda. He shechts Reb Zayda. He shechts Reb Zayda. What is Shachtei Reb Zayda? So there's a Gemara in Chulim. Fascinating Gemara. The Mishnah says in Chulin, a famous Mishnah, everybody knows the halacha. If you behead an animal, it's not kosher. You need shechita. Even if you take the knife and you just squeeze it, you, 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 you put the knife into the neck of the animal, what's called drusa, you squeeze it to the point that it dies, it's not good. What do you need shechita? What's shechita? Shechita means the knife, huh? You draw it back and you draw it forth. That's the halacha of shchit. Says the Gemara, how do you know? What's the difference? You just stab, stab. what's the difference? Amar Shmuel, the Amar Kra. The Pasuk speaks about shchit. The Pasuk says in Yirmiya, chetz shachut l'shoyna mirma. Some people's tongues is so deceitful, it's like a drawn arrow. When they open their mouth, it's like somebody taking an arrow, drawing it back, and shooting it out. You know, they know when they're going to start with their stories. The question is, one person is going to be killed, 10 people, 20 people, but some people, you know, they start opening their mouth, they don't stop. Their deceitful tongue is like a drawn arrow. Drawn. 
Tonne de Beire Bishmol. It says, Vishachat. Ein Vishachat, Ela Umashach. You don't even need the Pasuk in Yirmiya. The word Vishachat means to draw. So Shachat, slaughter, means Moshech. Come, Rabbi. Rabbi stands up, Vishach, Teilid Abzeda. Ein Vishachat, Elo Moshech. He was Moshech Rebzeda to a state that's completely transcendent of his regular physical, mental, spiritual, intellectual capabilities. What's the result of that? Rebzeda passes away. Why does he pass away? Because he experiences the intimacy that Nadav and Avihu experienced. He experiences the Chavevus, Arevus, Yedidus, Mesikus. Not just the prophet who falls asleep to become a Navi, but the prophet who falls asleep completely. completely. Rabbi and Abzeira was so intoxicated with Yeno Shal with Soydus HaTorah, with Nichnas Yayin Yotzasoyed. That the spiritual ecstasy elevated even Rabbah. But Rabbah had the vessels to remain in the physical world. Reb Zayra, who was in a state of Zayra, when he was elevated to that space, when he was open to that space, Shachte, he was elevated to a different domain completely, and his soul leaves his body. How? Because of Klois HaNefesh. Why? It's Purim, Ifsum. Ifsum. In fact, I saw, I was looking, so I saw the Shalom in Parshas Tetzavah, fascinatingly, the Shalom in Parshas Tetzavah says something, mamish almost verbatim, but kits and nimrits. Take a look, I put in the Shalom. Yeah, the last, the last source. Listen to the Shalom. Vezeu soid ma'amorim b'mesechta megillah. Rabbi shochtel rebzeide besudas hayayin. Rotzo loimar. The Choymer was divested. The sense of materialism was removed like the Jews by Har Sinai. He entered with him to tremendous comprehension. And again, we don't mean comprehension on intellectual nice sheer. That doesn't create Kleis HaNefesh. Hasaga here means comprehension and experience, a full experience of intimacy with Hashem, the The Shalah is saying literally, maybe Mamish died like Benazai who gazed at the orchard. Why does it say shchita? Shchita means a knife. We're not talking about a knife. It means literally. There's a pasuk in Shlach. Moshe says, the nations are going to say, you slaughtered them in the desert. For Hashem was taking a knife to slaughter them. That wasn't the plan. What do they say in some circles? So I don't know if that means with a knife, Chalila, but the concept is Zen Nishchet. He shechted him with words. Shalom says it's an expression. Now you got to figure this out. Mordechai and Haman represent basically the esophagus and the trachea. The foot pipe and the windpipe, which is the places where we do shechita. And Rabbi and Rebzeira went to the source of the kona and the veshet, which is Mordechai and Haman. And that's the idea of shechita, hakona v'haveshet. This he doesn't elaborate upon. This is the leaves for the Suda of Purim, for you to elaborate on when you're in a state of ifsum. But we learned here that v'shachat is not just an expression. V'shachat is the story. 
Ein v'shachat elo u'moshach. He was Moishachim, like King in Meshicha. You're Moishach. He drew him into a different realm. And Rebzeda physically did not survive. If this is the case, what happens? Rebzeda has passed away. It's Purim Ifsum. Lamachar. The next day, after Purim, Rabbi says, Yayin v'shecha al teish. The Rebbeinah Shalom doesn't want a soul in heaven. As long as you're giving your life here, this is the place. This is the place to be. He brings his neshama back into the guf. Why does he have to ask Rachmanus? Well, it's not easy. Once a soul leaves, you know, a soul doesn't want to come back. It's not simple for a soul to come back into the world because the soul is in the bosom, in the bosom of Hashem. It's hard to get a soul to come down. It's a painful journey in the expression of Gemara, from the peak of a mountain into a deep abyss. It's not easy at all. A year passes. A year passes. They're getting ready for Purim again. Comes Rabbi to the Bzeda, and he says, Tired of Bzeda. Not only does Rabban not regret what happened last year, put him, he wants to re-experience Matan he wants to re-experience Adalayada, he wants to re-experience the intimacy, the Giluyalakus, the revelation of godliness and ruchnius to the point of complete oneness and intimacy. He says, let's go reenact so this Purim. Of course I know what happened last year. It's Purim I've developed. Let's go do it. Reb Zayda looks at Rabbah. At first glance you would think Reb Zayda would say, 911. <laughs> you come to my house. You come to my house. You should be run away from the country. I'll drive you out. Go run to Yisrael. In fact, Reb Zayda went to Yisrael, not Rabbah. <laughs> Reb Zayda left Eretz Yisrael, not for this reason. He wanted to learn Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara says he fasted a hundred fasts to forget Talmud Bavli, to be able to open himself up to Talmud Yerushalmi. Reb Zayda says to Rabbi, of course, Rabbi. That was unforgettable, quite literally. There's only one problem. I would lovely, as we say in Yiddish, I would love to do it. Last year, my soul came down. I'm not sure the miracle is going to happen again. And what if I don't come down again? It's improper. Nadav and Aviyu were great, great men, greater than Moshe and Aaron. But we still consider it kivayachal, a chait, a mistake, an error, a spiritual error, a holy error, an error of a tzaddik. There are errors and there are errors. It's a different type of sin. But an error it was, a certain type of chait relative to their level it was. So therefore, Reb Zayda refuses. Now when Rabbit does it initially, when Dabba does it initially, perhaps he doesn't think Reb Zayda will expire, just like he doesn't expire. So he doesn't even know the consequences. Or perhaps he thinks, I could bring him back. You can have the cake and eat it too. And he does that too. The next year, we'll do it again. Maybe also the next year he thought, over the year, Reb Zayda's vessels also expanded. So Reb Zayda says, no. They did not. I still need a miracle. Or he thought maybe they didn't, but let's do it again. Reb Zayda rejects it, not because it was evil and criminal. It was not evil, it was not criminal. But If this is the case, the Gemara is literal. Rabbi caused Reb Zayda to pass away. Come Rabbi Shachtel Reb Zayda. Shvich is damim. 
murder, spilling of blood, evil, criminal, that completely was out of the question. For Rabbi, it was not the story, even though the story happens literally, and that's why Rabbi Ephraim says, because such a thing happened, you cannot do it anymore. Most poskim say, let's face it, most meals will not look like Rabbi and Abzeda's meals. Somebody will say a vart on the Megillah, somebody will say a little l'chaim, they'll have a kumzit, they'll have somebody with a guitar. The experience of Rabbi and Abzeda, we don't have to worry for most people, and therefore they don't agree with Rebbe, they don't agree with Rebbe Fry. Now the Rebbe says three stories to illustrate the concept. He said he wants to illustrate it in our generations. The first story he said about the Majitzer Rebbe. Remember, he said in the Zayde from the Heintike Majitzer, this was 1984, the Alta Majitzer, he actually passed away that year, I think in Ir. This was the Zayde of the, of the Majitzer of 84. This is the first Majitzer Rebbe who was uh, Rabbi Srol Taub. Rabbi Srol Taub, the Divrei Yisrael, Rabbi Srol Taub, the first Majitzer Rebbe, was a great, great Bechlal Majitz. He said that Majitz was no, is known for its Koyach HaNegina. It's unique talent and skill for music, for melodies. Majitz and Negunim, till today, are legendary. Rabbi Yisrael Tab, the first Majitz Rebbe, composed himself hundreds of melodies. Most of them were forgotten with the Holocaust, but I think we still have around 100 melodies of his. Um, uh, the the, the Majitz Rebbe was born in 1848, Tofresh Ches or Tofresh Tes. He passed away. He passed away in the 20s. He passed away in 1920. 1920. Yud Gimel Kislev, Tofresh Pei Aleph, 1920, in Varsha. He lived in Majitz in Poland, but he passed away in Varsha. He's buried in Warsaw. He's known as the first Majitz Rebbe, the Divrei Yisrael. So the Lubavitch Rebbe said, I heard from Chsidim in Poland that the Majitz Rebbe, the Divrei Yisrael, the first Majitz Rebbe, needed a surgery. It's a known story. In 1913, Tafresh Gimel, he needed a serious surgery. I think it was on his legs. And he went to Berlin. Berlin was then one of the great medical centers of the world. And the doctors agreed that he must have a surgery to save his life. But there was a problem. Because of his age and his physical state, they said there's no way that his body would be able to endure the pain of the surgery, anesthesia was too dangerous for him, and therefore they didn't think he would survive going under the knife. So the Majid Tzerebbe told his physicians in Berlin, he's going to sing, when they're ready for the surgery, they should tell him a few minutes before. He's going to sing a nigan, one of his own songs that he's composing, or he will compose, or he composed. He's going to sing the song. They should wait, and when they see that he's in the midst of the melody, in the midst of singing the song, and he's completely entrenched in it, they could perform the surgery. And Kachava, this is what they did. They performed the surgery. He was in the middle of singing the song. He was completely in a different place, in a different realm. He was not screaming. He survived, and he lived for another seven years. From 1913, he lived to 1920. He lived another seven years. By Majitz Chassidim, they say this was a nigga known as Ela Esker. It has 32 stanzas. 32 stanzas. I heard it once. It's a brilliant, brilliant nigga. I mean, from a, from a point of view of composition of a melody, it's an extraordinary song. 
And Madrids, they sing it only once a year on his yard site. It's like a very sacred song for them because this was his song in which he you know, lived through the surgery. They sing it on his yard site, which is Yud Gimel Kislev, as I mentioned. So here the Rebbe says, here you have an illustration of a Jew, a great Jew living in our times, in his times, who didn't pass away. But here you have an experience. He experiences something and he simply does not feel his chaymer. He does not feel his physical body. And not just because, you know, he doesn't feel his hunger, he's busy. But in a surgery, which should cause tremendous amount of pain and agony without anesthesia, he's capable of becoming one with the nigin, with his atzmos. So one to the point he didn't feel his agony, his pain. Story number two. A generation earlier, Rabbi Avram HaMalach. The Mezritche Magid Reb Ber, the successor of the Baal Shem Tev, had a son. They called him Rabbi Avram the Angel. Just from the name, you can figure out what type of person he was. When the Baal HaTanya came to Mezrich to learn by the Halakha Magid, the Baal HaTanya, Rabbi Shnei Zalman of Liadi, was a tremendous gone. He had a choice. He wanted to go either to Vilna or Mezrich. Sometimes it was like a tale of two cities. Not London and Paris, but Vilna and Mezrich. And he said as follows, I know how to learn, I don't know how to daven. In Vilna, you're going to learn how to learn by the gaunt. In Mizrich, they say you could learn how to daven. He goes to Mizrich. It's one of those forks in the road that really changes, changes history in many ways. And he goes to Mizrich, becomes the great student of the Magad, becomes the author of the Shulchan Aruch and the Tanya. He comes there, the Magad makes a chavrusa for him with his son. Three hours and three hours. Three hours nigla, Three hours Nister. Rabbi Avraham HaMalach is going to teach the Balatanya, Rabbi Shnei Zalman, Nister, Kabbalah. The Balatanya is going to teach his son Nigla. Balatanya, Rabbi Avraham HaMalach was a very abstract person. So he used to say that he used to move the clock back, appropriate for today. He would move the clock back. So Rabbi Avraham HaMalach looked at the clock and he thought the three hours weren't up. And he said those were the sweetest Torah he learned. Mayim gnuvim yim takul. Stolen water is sweet. And he said that the Zoyar says, Loi Signav, there's a psik after Loi, because when it comes to Taira, some people touch Loi, but sometimes Signav. But he touched, when it comes to Taira, Elder Taira, you could steal, so to speak, you should steal. Steal from your time, steal from, from, uh, from any possibility to add in Taira. Once they were learning for hours Kabbalah, when they finish, Rabbi Rama Malach walks out of, his, of the room where he was learning the Beis Medrash, and he sees the Balatanya sitting, and he's eating, remember his words, est a bagel mit putter. <laughs> he's eating a bagel with butter. The Rabbi Malach was astounded to see his chavrusa, it was Kodesh HaKadoshim, eating a bagel with butter. So he says, what's this? So he says, when I finish the shir with you, gefilt. I felt I'm going to pass away, and I needed something very fatty, very physical to hold me down. So therefore, I couldn't only eat a bagel, I had to eat a bagel with butter. So the question is, and Rebbe Avram HaMalach himself, but here you have the same concept. Rebbe Avram was a malach, he was an angel. So he operated in that level, in that paradigm, he didn't eat a bagel and butter. He was used to this. The Balatanya, his main avoid, his main raison d'etre was Chachma bin Adas, to bring it down, to permeate the mind, to permeate the heart, to penetrate the physical world. He had a different avoid than Rebbe Rama Malach. Very different. So therefore, because of his avoid, he had to stay down. This was not the regular experience. He had to eat a bagel and butter. 
Third story. This he heard from his father-in-law. The Rashab. One was the Majot Rebbe, the Divrei Yisrael, the Bavram HaMalach, and now the third one, the last one. The Rebbe said that he heard from his father, his father-in-law was the Rebbe Rayat, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe. His father was known as the Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. He once traveled with his son to Vienna in the early 1900s, to Vienna. They stayed in a hotel. So his father, the Rashab, had one room, and his son, the Rayat, Rebbe Yisrael, had another room. He comes into his father's room once, one day in Vienna, and he sees that he's sitting on the couch in his hotel room, and he's entrenched in his thoughts, and he can't make conversation with him, no eye contact. He saw that he's like in a trance. So he left his father alone. He comes back a few hours later, his father's in the same position, with not moving, immobile, staring in mid-air, and completely seemed not there. Comes back a few hours later, same position. This happened for hours and hours throughout the day. Finally, his father, so to speak, woke up and he started to ask him questions. And from the questions, he understood that his father did not know what day it was, what week it was, what month it was, where they were, which city, which location, which circumstances. Almost he had to tell him everything. He was asking him, he said, side questions. And the Rebbe said that Yeshaimrim, that those hours intellectually he laid the foundations of his famous Hemshech, known as Hemshech Tofresh Ayin Beis, which means one of the deepest, deepest works in the world of Kabbalah and Hasidus is, no, is a three-volume, it's, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of pages of the Rashab that he began writing, in, began saying in 1912, Tofresh Ayin Beis, it's known as Hemshech Tofresh Ayin Beis, the series of 1912 of Tofresh Ayin Beis in which he revealed some of the most fundamental ideas in Nister and Echsidus, especially in Chabad Echsidus, those hours he was intellectually entrenched in laying the foundations of that huge set of volumes, which is very, very difficult, very, very complex. And even those who are entrenched in the world of Chassidus really get to that book. It's, it's, it's really, it's a lifetime, it's a whole journey that's safer. What do you see here? Again, he was sitting on a couch in the physical world, but his sensations were so transcendent, were so beyond, that in many ways there was a, a semblance of what we call Afshatas HaChemer, in which the material experience is gone, and therefore the person is in a complete transcendental state. So even in our generations, by great Jews, you have something, something of a semblance of this idea that the Gemara says what happened on Purim, come Rabbe, v'shachtelet abzeireh, that Rabbi slaughters, he elevates the Bzeda to a place where there is complete intimacy with the divine. Lahalacha, we paskin that Rabbeinu Ephraim's rejection of Rava was not accepted. We accept Rava's halacha because it means that on Purim, the time of Purim, everyone according to their level has the power and the ability to experience something of this concept of Adelayad and the whole drinking of Purim is not a fest just to let loose. The drinking of Purim is really the, one of the most serious experiences of the year. In many ways more serious than Yom Kippur. It's like Matan Torah, where a person on his or her level has the ability on Purim to truly be able to let go of all the defenses and experience intimacy with the Rebbeinu Shalolam even beyond das, even beyond knowledge. Have a wonderful week. Afrelech in Chodesh, Afrelech in Purim.
This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.